Welcome to the Writers Institute podcast. Welcome to the Writers Institute podcast. I'm your host, Paul Grandal, the director of the New York State Writers Institute at the University of Albany. We're really excited about our guest today. Sandy Tan is a filmmaker. She's also been a film critic. She's a novelist. But we're here to screen and talk about her film, Shirkers, which won a lot of attention at Sundance and other film festivals. And we're going to talk about that and the writing life. Welcome, Sandy. Hi, thanks for having me. So, your first time in Albany. Yep. Any impressions so far? You've only been here I've, an I've hour been, or so. I've been here an hour. I've been as far as Hudson, which mm-hmm. is not quite as far as here. Um, beautiful buildings. Yeah. And I'm just struck by the fact that you have state funding for the arts. <laughs> we I mean, this is we are proud of that. Yeah. We really are. So I, we like to talk about kind of early influences, how you got to be a, a, a film fanatic, it sounds like, as a young mm-hmm. person, how you got to start writing and doing journalism. I've never been to Singapore. Tell me about it. Tell me, was it you grew up in in a big city or a rural area? Um, there is no rural area, I guess. When I was growing up, it was it's such a small country. It's basically a city state, about the fifth a fifth the size of Rhode Island. That was that would just give you a sense of how small it is. Mm-hmm. Um, that's the entire country, and um, it wasn't producing you know much culture of its own. So it, it just imports a lot from everywhere especially you know you have stuff from hong kong you have stuff from bollywood you have stuff from hollywood and um so you know singapore when you grow up there you're kind of raised to be a consumer and a kind of um, a sponge for everything that came through and then you could pick and choose and mm. usually you grow up with a multi- multiple influences from multiple places and you don't really think about east and west in those kinds of terms they're not binary. You just like you just absorb and you like what you like. Um, so that's one of the freeing things about Singapore. One of the less freeing things about Singapore is that it's um, it's got very strict government. <laughs> you might have heard they they do not um, allow you to buy gum. Um, there are lots really? of things they do not allow there. Like um, you know they police the internet. You know less so now. Right. And when I was growing up, they would. Um, censor films very harshly well we have a story there because new york state did that here too in albany there's a whole archives but we're talking the 30s and the 40s so they were censoring right up when you were growing up 20 years ago or whatever or 10 years ago yeah and um so you know you would see movies and you know you wouldn't there wouldn't be any curse words and stuff like that um and so you have these snips in the movies and you know there'll be like these jump cuts and really funny things that you see as a you know, you just grow up and you get used to those things growing up. And it was also, um, movies took a long time to, to get to Singapore in those days. And if you're in a hurry to see them, because I used to read about movies um, a lot and then want to see them impatiently. Because I read about them in American film, um, Tiger Beat magazine, and American, you know, things like that. <laughs> and then you'd just be waiting and waiting for the new Ethan Hawke movie or the new Keanu Reeves movie to show up. So you get impatient, you go... And you get the pirated videos because that was right. a thriving culture. And, right. and then you, you start watching, you watch movies um, that were like some some guy in the in the U.S. had gone to the opening weekend of some movie theater and, and shot it with a video camera. And you can see the heads <laughs> bobbing in front of this, you know, in front right. of you and maybe like you know, hear the people kind of chewing, munching on popcorn and stuff. Right. And that was a very interesting way of experiencing movies. It became almost like something from, you know, like, Movies became things that were, to me, special because they were, like, beamed from outer space, almost. Was it almost like underground? You had to do it at home, and your parents were kind of lawbreakers to let you watch them? Um, or could you watch them no, in school? No, or? because they were 
you know, because Singapore um, was such an absorbent culture, um, it still back then and still does have, I think, the highest rate of movie going in the world. Wow. Because it's also very hot and very humid. And you're on an and island. So, right? Yeah, you're, you're an, island, an island and you want to be in a movie theater because right. it's nice and air conditioned. And, and so people go and people like stories, um, you know, and it's an immigrant culture. Everybody came from every book. Most people came from elsewhere. And so, you know, a lot of them are, you know, really interesting, complicated families. And, and so stories meant a lot to all of us because, you know, you wanted to escape sometimes your families and your environment and you go to the movies. Right. So there's a lot of that escaping the island, escaping everything and going to the movies and and just diving to stories. So how early did you start going and was that unusual for I mean you were what 13 14 seeing a lot of movies were by yourself or a group of friends um, from middle school type or, or Yeah, um I wouldn't go to the movies by myself. I would sometimes, you know, like family would take me. Uh, my my family were huge moviegoers. My mother was named after Alice Faye after a mo- silent movie star. Oh, yeah, yeah. I was actually named after Sandra D. <laughs> really? <laughs> and and so like it's it's just, you know, a huge kind of right. um, movie mad people right. that I was raised by. Um and you know, so so I you know, but me and my friends would discover often art films um at the video this is very, very cranky video store guy in Singapore. His name is Mr. Odell, and he was extremely mean to kids, especially if you went there in your school uniform because, you know, he didn't like kids, and you're in your school uniform, and it's, he, he knew you were what school you went to. <laughs> he was like clerks and or something. Yeah, huh? yeah, and we would go and, and rent these movies, um, and that's how I discovered all these, um, you know, French films. And right. often they would be cut because these are French films. Of course, there would be things that Singapore censors had to cut and we would watch them with all these like you know funny fuzzy bits where they would just like block out the image and the dialogue and sometimes not the dialogue just the image and you see fuzz in the screen but they just take like a sharpie to the film or they just really this was um videotape so this is more difficult to cut yeah but when you watch them in the movie theater you have the the strange jump cuts (laughs) um but 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 then there was the singapore film society as well which i crashed when i was 14 and started watching Basically, I crashed the Singapore Film Society because I read so much about James Dean and wanted to see um, Rebel Without a Cause. Uh. But in order to see Rebel Without a Cause, I had to see all these other, you know, horrible, slow French and Russian movies (laughs) as well. And then in so doing, I discovered I liked them. Yeah. So your school, was it a public school, private school? Would they actually show films to you? You had to do it on your own. No, you do it that on your own, on your own time. and. Um, I went to school with very, um, I guess, um, uh, kids who are a little um, um, ambitious in their reading and, 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 and watching. And, a public school or private? Um, or? It was a halfway, it's now a private school. It's be- right. become a private school. Back then it was kind of a halfway private and halfway public. So the, you know, the government didn't really have that too much of an influence on, right. on what you could see. And who do. was your group at school? Was there a group of kids who were going to be the next filmmakers no 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 nobody had any kind of dreams that way because there was no future in film and nobody thought about filmmaking so nobody was making films in singapore nobody was making i mean they they made films in the 60s and 50s and then the studios closed and then there were some pockets of filmmaking in the 70s um you know kind of a filipino exploitation action movies that actually my my former stepmom was an action star in some of them yeah 
uh, Cleopatra Wong was one of the films she was in that's actually in Shirkers. Right. You know, um, and she, I, you know, it was like just irrelevant to the film for me to say that was actually my stepmom. <laughs> but she was. And, and those were kind of shot incidentally in Singapore, but there wasn't a thriving film industry. So therefore, that was not a conceivable um, future for any of us. Right. Um, most of my, you couldn't even want to think about being a writer or any creative person. It's just incredible. Why it's the government was, well, there was no jobs. I mean, the, the most creative thing you could do or think about doing was maybe, um, being an ad executive. And then everybody was completely practical as well. Like you, you belong to families that want you to be a doctor and lawyer or, right. or an accountant or something. Right. Cause you know, being a creative person made no sense or, you know, just, Piano teacher was probably right. the most creative thing anyone were, could think were of. Were young people your age thinking of leaving the island as much as they could? Is that yeah, I think um, some, you know, when we were younger, you know, people didn't think they would be able to leave or just didn't think it was a anything, you know, like you just think, oh, you stay or you go to college somewhere else and see what happens. But um, the rate of emigration is, is huge, just like the brain drain or just people leaving. Like almost every family I know, at least one person each, like if you're talking about in every generation, there would be at least one person or at least more than one person in every household I can tell, think of um, has gone away and moved away because it's such a small island. I mean, it's like, it's like just growing up in a small town. There's, that's obviously going to be, you know, people who leave for various reasons. So tell me about... You're 18 years old. You become the movie critic for Straight Times. Straight yeah. Times. What was that newspaper like, and how did you get um, that job? I was an did intern. Did you have to lie about your I age was, or something? No, I was an intern, and um, I was, um, you know, I had started writing about movies when I was 14, actually. Um, my first job writing about movies when I was 14 for $5 a pop um, with a pseudonym because I didn't want anyone to know, like, from my mm-hmm. school that I was writing about movies for this little um, alternative magazine called Big O that a friend of mine ran, like, in, you know, a mentor ran. Right. And, um, and so I would write about, like, movie reviews, you know, and, and be real smart alecky about <laughs> things. And, and not worry because... So that's why you took your name off yeah, it? Yeah, and I, I, and I got my, my pseudonym off a, um, a three-hole punch, uh, a, a kind of a, you know, punch yeah. thing, a brand, a German stationary brand called Soinekin 5030. And that's and that I was your myself. name? Yeah, that was my... <laughs> and what were you, you were doing these like late at night after your homework and um, everything? You're just yeah, a kid. Yeah, I, I just, yeah, that was, that was, and then watching movies and, um, you know, when you don't play sports and you have no interest in those kinds of things, um, and there was no internet and there was no, you know, ways for you to waste time in those ways, then you watch movies and you read a lot and you um, write and you want to dream about making movies. I didn't know how... But I wanted to be involved in movies. Um, and then when I was 18, uh, actually, you know, I was, I was by the, well, I was an intern at the newspaper. And um, because... Were you thinking of journalism career too? No, or I wasn't. What? It was no? just like, it was just a, one that, a job that was open and I could do and that was not so far from my house and allowed me to, you know, go to free movies for free. And nice. <laughs> it didn't seem so bad. <laughs> Air-conditioned yeah. movie theaters. Yeah, and then good. and I knew a little bit about movies, and then they thought, oh, why don't you come, you know, be the substitute um, film critic sometimes? On, and so I, you know, would, would write about movies that sometimes, because they had a rating system, and sometimes I wasn't old enough to go see, say, Dracula <laughs> right. or something. You had to be 21 to get in. Right. Um, but um, while I was having that job, there was this nighttime class um, run by George Cardona, this strange uh-huh. American yes. uh, in Singapore. It was the first of its kind filmmaking class. Because uh, nobody had, you know, nobody could even imagine. And this man from New Orleans comes, and he offers to teach people 
16 millimeter, 16 millimeter filmmaking, like real filmmaking, not video or anything like that. And um, I, me and my friends, we couldn't resist, and so we signed up. Okay. So did you have any sense at the beginning that he was odd or maybe fabricating some of his story? Did he actually have legit equipment and everything? And, he did and, have uh, legit equipment. And, you know, like we had come from a high school where we were very used to Americans and British teachers and, you know, just like being very um, – we like it was a – it was a high school that had a special drama program, the theater studies and drama program that I, me and my friends were in. And we were always like challenging the teachers. We didn't really, we weren't treated as kids. So we didn't really have the usual kind of, you know, like respect or, or feel like the teachers should be something bigger or special or, you know, more mature. And sometimes they can be a little childish and you can fight with them a little bit. Um, so George was one of these people. He didn't actually behave like a normal teacher or a grown-up, and that did not seem weird to us because okay. of that. So that was the background of us um, going into his world and not thinking it was anything strange. Right. And But you had to raise the money. He didn't bring any money to it. How did you and your friends raise money at that young age? Um, for making a film? Yeah. Oh, you know, we, 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 we were part of this film class, so to be attending this film class at night, the rest of the students had to pay the full fare, right. which is like, I don't know, 300 bucks or something, which was a little high for kids like us. And I think we talked our way into that, and he he was just like, he, I think he quietly let me and my friend Jasmine and maybe Sophie and the three 18-year-old girls in the class in for free, I think it was what happened. Uh, and then we took the class, we learned a lot, and then at the end of the class, he said, let's make a film. Um, and we made this short film together. It was called, I should have known something at that point. He was giving us a clue. We made the short film called I Have Never Told the Truth. Ah, uh, yeah, that's a giveaway. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but we, you know, of course you don't see those signs at the right. moment when you're Your living kids. it. Yeah, and, and, and there was no other, you know, clue. Right. So we'll get into him, you know, absconding with the film. No spoiler alerts. The film's been out on Netflix a while, but how long before you started feeling like he might be a little sketchy or, or anything um, n- not, well, um, I, I, I don't think he was actually, um, well, I mean, he was, he was a great storyteller, first right. of all. So you, you take some of his stories with a, a grain of salt right. and, and, um, you know, he's, 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 he's nice and refreshing in that he wasn't stodgy like a lot of the grownups around us were, who were very scoldy and very authoritarian figures. Right. So... You you kind of take the good with the bad somehow right. a little bit, and you um, so we enjoyed the stories, and you know some of them might seem a little fantastical, <laughs> like like that he was uh, that you he fought in Vietnam and things like that, and the, the, some of the time things were a little uh, yeah. stretchy, and you know did you fact check? Did you fact check him? Well, or you know, like back in the, those days, like yeah. internet did not exist, right. and it was it was very hard to fact check a lot of these things. So like one of the stories he told me that was so funny was that he told me he was the assistant for Ricky Leacock, the um, famous cinematographer on Monterey Pop. Okay. That was in 68, 69, something right. like that. It's famous film. And, um, you know, that was back in the day. It was like, really hard to see. Like, he's the assistant. How do you fact check something right. like that without the without the There's internet? no IMDb. There was no right. IMDb back then. And even so, the assistant might not be listed. So right. 
It's so funny that 1997, I went to Columbia University Film School, and my professor happened to be this man called Nicholas Perferis. And he was the actual the real. guy, the real guy. I mean, like the coincidences, like it's like, it is so yes. bizarre. Like, how do you fact check something right. like that? You just ask, you just happen to tell the story to this, your professor. And he right. says, wait a minute, I was wait that a minute. guy. <laughs> but what was his story? How did he end up in Singapore in the first place? What was his? Um, so how he ended up there was um, very interesting because he had been working on an oil rig, uh, making, you know, films, like documentary films for an oil company. And um, and he liked that part of the world and just wanted to escape New Orleans, I guess. And he had been living in New Orleans and was married to a woman from New Orleans. And Singapore, climate-wise, is very similar to New Orleans in that kind of tropical, stormy, you know, way, humid. And um, he felt comfortable there. And she, his wife, um, was an architect who was into um, restoring old buildings and found a job there, in fact. So she was the one was working full-time. So that much was real. You saw that. Did you ever see any of his films that he said he made? Did he show them in no, class? Or? No, okay. no, because he didn't actually make any. You said he never finished anything, Yeah, he's basically. never actually finished anything. So he wasn't a creeper in terms of he wanted to get around young girls no, or kids, right? It no. wasn't any harassment that no, way. No, okay. that's, so that's why it's so unusual. And right, it's like a very right. strange case where it's not so easy to pinpoint... Right. Where, you know, like, he's not just a baddie in the usual way because he's also an enabler. He helped us realize our dreams, so it's much more complicated. And I think right. a lot of these guys who are slightly predatory right. are, um, have have those good aspects, too, which really makes things a lot fuzzier than right. they are. Were you and your friends that did this film kind of rebels? Did your parents know and approve, or you kind of did it on the down low the whole time, or what? Down or, low. Oh, you did? I mean, you just... You didn't... You, well, you know, like, some people knew, because we had to um, enlist, like, say, Jasmine's mom. Right. And then Sophie's mom, actually, Because you needed a for, car or Yeah, stuff and she helped and... us get a, a, a van, production van, and then she wound up paying for all the parking tickets. Um, <laughs> things like that. Things that kids because aren't able to do. Did you have to uh, subvert the government if they knew you were doing this film would they want to censor it from the beginning Maybe or whatever you might have to send the script off for vetting and censorship yeah. I mean, there was nothing to censor they just right. would be baffled by why anyone would want to make a movie about this like what do you mean this kid goes around killing people like what do you mean right like nobody would understand it um so we didn't bother with that um nobody was going to give us money so um all the movie companies were like what, what? no and um so we, we just had to, to finance this thing ourselves. What was your budget on the film? Um, I don't know. It was like completely... Under a thousand? It, or no. Oh. No, no, no. Much more than that. Because uh, just paying for people's lunches, you know, right. paying for gas, paying for the parking How big tickets. was your crew? Um, you know, like we had, we, we went to drama school. So we had all our friends from those classes work for free because it was the summer and, you know, people right. were off from school and... And we could pull and everybody in and everybody worked for free. Right. Um, and it was like free labor for, I think we shot about, we shot for about like two and a half, three months. That's wow. a long time. Yeah. Because we had to take a lot of breaks when it rained or when the light wasn't right, right or when the kid couldn't be taken out of school. Right. Or, you know, some, somebody couldn't get off work. And you did, or you had help, or you wrote the whole script? I wrote this whole script and we shot the first draft something I do not advise people to do how many pages was your script was it, was it a like, full length feature or like, short um, or? it was probably about 72 pages 75 pages something that it was pretty right. short right ish yeah and you had no professionals no professional actors or cinematographer no. or... I mean we the, 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 the guy who shot the movie um, he 
was, a tr- I guess he was a trainee cinematographer. That was the first thing he shot. Um, right. He might have shot some commercials with George. Right. And he wanted to learn how to shoot on film. And now he's like the, I think he's the president of Moviola in Singapore or something. Wow. Yeah, so he's, you know, he's done really so, well for himself. So George really showed up, and at least during the filming, he was helpful and things? He was things helpful. Are... He was, um, it helped to, to have a grown-up be there on set. I mean, it, it helped for us to talk to places like Hodak to give us film and, you know, to get the film equipment from these companies to have a grown-up's name on the piece of paper saying, this guy is going to be the director, even though, you know, he was kind of a ghost. Um, these people trusted this man who was this American man. And, and rather than these, like, local kids running around, like, you know, who didn't know what, you know, they would never have given us any, like, they wouldn't be confident in us, I think. Right. And then he was the one who insisted of holding all the canisters with the film, or did you, did he take them from you at some point? I mean, who was holding the, the shot film? Um, well, you know, like, he was the director, and we all had to go back to school. Uh, you meet Jasmine and Sophie. Like, Sophie was um, going to, to USC in California. Um, Jasmine was going to NYU. I was off in England. So we all were going off our separate ways and there was nobody left to really take care of things except for George. So he was the, the home base in Singapore. So of course he said, I'm going to go edit this thing. I'm going to put it all together. And he, he you know, it was, it was natural. He had a studio. He was the grown up. He, you know, kind of took care of things. So right. it was natural for him to, to hang on to And him. at that point, you felt like he was going to do what he said, or you were already questioning yeah, whether he... Yeah, why would anyone hang on to them for, yeah. for a long time and not do anything to them? That makes no sense at all, unless it was some kind of crazy mind game, or unless he was completely terrified about what he might find if he saw the footage and saw that it was bad, and he, he couldn't actually put this together. Because I don't think he actually thought we were ever going to make a film. Because right. he's never made it to the point where people were actually shooting a film. He's all talk. He's basically. all talk all his life. Even like those every, documentaries were just talk. Yeah, and and like you know, people in his past, um, all his previous proteges in New Orleans, you know, um, he, he never actually finished the film. Right. We didn't know that then. Right. So you all go off to school. He's got the sixteen canisters. Then you don't know where he goes. When does he leave Singapore? Um, it's really murky. Because we were all, um, you know, because if, if you watch the film, you can see that... I'm the, looking the, forward the, to the, seeing the, it tonight. All the, I've seen is the, the trailer. Oh, so. okay. Because we, we um, the three of us, like the, the three girls, me, Sophie, and Jasmine, we kind of like, you know, it was very heartbreaking, you know, for us to have made this film and have our friendships fall apart because of various things that happen on the set. Right. And, um, and you know, as teenage girls, you're just volatile anyway. Um, and so we kind of lost touch and just thought George was looking after things and a year goes by two years goes by and then did he did he even answer did you e- have email then or how um, were you no, write like letters to him or and letters and he wouldn't yeah, reply i mean it's like he's reply. a very elusive guy like he he um he only communicated through faxes <laughs> and you know like i still have some faxes from him but it's like a ghostly thing because right. you know like faxes from 1993 1992 they the, the print vanishes. You know, I, I remember it. I was at, at a newspaper then when that's all we had. Yeah. You know, I know. And so I, 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 I have these faxes from him um, that have They like, wash out. They washed yeah. out. It's like these ghost letters. Right. So you're going on about your 
thing. How long does it take you to sort of move past that and not be just completely destroyed? Or was it always something that pulled you down as a big disappointment and a big... It was a big secret. It was a secret shame. It was oh. like I had failed myself, my friends, my everyone. Did your family even know? that? Um, a little bit. Like my grandmother's in the film, so she knew. But she didn't know what the hell it yeah. was. Because I made her play my grandmother in a few scenes. And my baby cousin was in a few scenes. And we borrowed props from the house. But it was right. like, you know, I was involved in theater in school. And I was like always borrowing things. So this was just an extension of that. Right. So it didn't, you was- know, it wasn't like a huge disruption to them. But emotionally, to me, and spiritually, to me, it was like a huge of course. thing, loss. But So I kept that within myself. Did, was this going to be your application to film school, or this was going to be your young auteur breakthrough Yeah, it thing? was just something I wanted to do with my friends. And it was the summer where everybody was available. We had this grown-up to lead us in this, you know, this adventure, and this is the one opportunity. How could you pass it by? And, you know, like you know, like um, Jasmine and Sophie were like, "Oh no, no, we're rushing into this. Can we wait a year and then we can do everything properly?" But there's no way. Like this, it never happens. Like right. if you wait a year, everyone's going off yeah. somewhere else. It's never going to happen. Did anyone get ruined financially? Take a big hit. I did. <laughs> oh really? I, I, I mean, I, 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 um, Sophie and I, we, um, you know, withdrew our savings and we, you know, because George. It's a spoiler, but right. you know he 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 says, "Oh, we just need ten thousand dollars to f- complete this film," you know, towards the end, and and then we um, we just wanted the whole nightmare to be over, and we we withdrew. You guys sent it. How yeah. much did you put into it? I put eight thousand dollars. I mean, it's like well, everything you every penny you yeah, had, and, and, and you know, it was like he just drove us to ATM, and he, it was like you're a kid, and um, you know, it's all your little you know Christmas packets and things um but 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 it's you know it's it's um but you know we just wanted it to be done so right. we could we could, you know because we got so many people involved in this thing we had like a hundred extras uh, actors and and like our classmates you know maybe right. a crew numbering maybe totaling different points you know like right. totaling maybe 50 or something 50 to 100 people and like location scouts, all this kind of like people working for free, right. people letting us use their shops, and people, and people running, must have yeah. stopped on the street watching it, and yeah. you talk to people exactly, like, and you just you know like these people were kind, and they gave right. us that time. They took time off work, and this was going to be one of the first films in Singapore exactly. in a lot of years, yeah, or and, something. And, and some of them were really good actors. Right. I mean, they were non-professionals, but they wanted to be actors. And if you watch some of the footage, you think they might have had a future. And right. um, I just felt we owed it to them, you know. To, to, to finish the film right. and in fact this you know having made Shirkers actually I feel like uh, it's like it's not really so much for me to reclaim this lost part of my life but right. it's really for everyone who actually worked on this film and believed in it and I vanished um, without giving them an adequate explanation because right. I had none no so it was his he, he'd been dead at least 10 years when how did the the widow just contacted you found you yeah because i was a novelist by that point right and i had a website for my book mm-hmm. um i had a novel that was coming out called the black isle with uh, grand central publishing right. hachette and um so i happened to have this website and she happened to on september 11th 2011 10th anniversary of 9-11 wow. and she felt a sudden kind right. of uh, needing closure i yeah. guess there was a lot of that in the air and so that was the day she chose to write to me, and she found my email online via my right. book's website, and and then she wrote to me on that day. Did she ever have an answer about her husband? Did she? She was the one that said he just never finished anything, or did um, she? Yeah, and I, I, you know, I think it's she was probably. I hate to use the word victim because I don't oh, like it, but um, I think she she well. was probably duped 
the worst by, by oh, his, she was. His, his, did they eventually his, split up before he yeah, died? Yeah, or? They, oh, okay. they, they, they did split up. And she, um, you know, well before he died. Um, right. But even after he died, she was the one who had to come clean up his mess. And, right. You know. So you weren't probably the only one that he duped or scammed or whatever. There's probably a trail of A trail. People. And okay. in fact, when you watch the film, it's like we were just the latest uh, or one of the, right, the right. bunch of people that were... So now you make this film, it gets great attention, great reviews. Does it feel like a redemption? In a way, you got double the story than the just feature film, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, how does it feel? Does it feel like redemption or vindication or that you finally... Vindication in in that um, everything I remembered was as is and I wasn't insane I wasn't making up stories because I learned to kind of stop well, did some people it. think you were like a George too Maybe or something maybe because I was, I was like um, <clears throat> telling them like I was you know me and my friends we meet this movie on the streets of Singapore it just sounds so far-fetched you know there's nobody can imagine you could have showed them your bank account you got well, you got screwed but, yeah, by... and I didn't want to talk about that I mean no, that's extremely that's shameful, shameful that's true. and embarrassing right. you got duped like who wants to talk about that so it was a you know a lot of that shame um, right. and getting and and you know, telling the story kind of makes you get over that that right. huge shame because um, there was nothing I should have been ashamed about. You know, really exactly because me and my friends but, we we did so much. So when you went back and 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 I saw in that interview you gave that it took you a while to actually want to watch it, and then another expense to digitize. But did you ever think that you're going to just do it as the straight? feature you intended no. or you always knew it was yeah. the story about the story, the story behind it was so much more interesting okay. than than the actual thing I, I just thought you know it might be quirky curious little film but right. you know this is the more interesting story the story of friendships fraying over years friendships that stayed intact over years right so is this film in some ways that initially the worst thing that happened in your long young life mm-hmm. and now is it one of the best things as a filmmaker kind of launched your career, right? Or- Probably um, one of the better things, yeah. And and also just like, um, you know, it just gives you so much confidence as a storyteller that you manage to to kind of um, make sense of this senseless thing that happened to you when you right. were a kid. And, um, you know, it just kind of makes sense of your life in a, in a right. strange way. Um, but also that you, that I, you know, I basically made this film in my garage, um, edited this film over nine months, ten months in my garage, and realizing you know the power you have i mean like that you can do this in right. this day and age because technology allows you to do this and the right. fact that we are recording a podcast in, right. in some you know somebody's uh, dining room <laughs> right. you know and, and people might be listening to this uh, and, hopefully and, you'll get a lot of listeners in singapore well, when we know, link to but it maybe in sri lanka you know, <laughs> places like that. it's like it's just incredible this, right. this, it's, a, it's a great time to be making things yeah so let's talk about your your novel mm-hmm. and i'm interested in writing fiction on the page versus writing a screenplay that's going to be interpreted by a director and actors are they the same discipline completely no, different completely different no. in what way um you know because the in the in the novel i mean it's like often well i i got into novel writing because uh writing screenplays became so frustrating because you had to wait for it to be sold and to me you know you had to wait for other people Whereas when you write a novel, it's just you right. and the typewriter, and it's just you fighting with yourself. And then sometimes it's more difficult to fight with yourself, but but most often you wind up choosing fighting with yourself than fighting with other people. And you write this thing, and it, then you know people buy it, and then you can see the, the entire world is there. You can create the world. 
um, you have to write every sentence in order to create that world rather than have some art director build it for you. Right. Um, but it's, it's very freeing. And currently I'm actually, um, so that was my, my novel, The Black Isle, which... Had you written fiction while you were young and um, in yeah, Columbia? and writing, oh, you were? You know, okay. like as, a, as a kid, I was, yeah. you know, I was writing stories and stuff like that. And, um, but, you know, like The Black Isle was a, a, a story that I thought would be too complicated and expensive to ever put in, in a kind of a filmic form. Right. Uh, as a kind of a 500-page, um, you know, um, epic story about a ghost hunter. It's kind of like an alternate history of um, 20th century Southeast Asia, okay. um, where the heroine is a ghost hunter. So my father, who uh, doesn't read that much, he says, oh, it's uh, it's like um, James Clavell meets Harry Potter. <laughs> but, oh, that's I mean, a nice that's, pitch. But, uh, but that's, that's, uh, that's a <laughs> slightly uh, condescending pitch, but, 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 but not in, inaccurate. You know, it's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's historical fiction, but it's also popular, and it's actually also literary. Right. Um, it just, you know, falls through right, a lot right. of different cracks. Um, but you but never, you studied only filmmaking at Columbia, or did you take fiction writing no, courses? No, I didn't take to, fiction. I don't think self-taught completely. And, yeah, yeah. I mean, you just teach yourself to write right. fiction. And in fact, I'm actually also currently uh, trying to finish my second novel um, that's due in the end of the month. Oh, really? How yeah. close are you? I am it's just revising I about now? like um yeah it's revising and fixing yeah. everything I've like 27 pages left to go. What's the title and who's the publisher? Um the title is Lurkers. I like these one word like titles. Shirkers, uh, uh, yeah, and then and Soho echo. Press is doing it. Soho nice. Press is going to be out in the spring of it's going to be their lead title in spring 2021. Nice. Yeah. Congratulations. So I was just at Woodstock Film Festival last weekend. There was an interesting panel, Women in Film. And what I took away from that is that it's getting harder and harder to be an indie filmmaker Mm -hmm. with streaming competition and everything else, so much going to TV, but also doubly hard for women. A lot of it focused on the challenge of getting financing. And we've had other documentary filmmakers here, and they say that as well. Why do you want to fight that one? Like you say, you could be a novelist just doing your own thing. Is, is financing films, a trouble? But if you want to do films right. and you want to, you have a story to tell. I think it's actually, you know, because people are much more open now to all kinds of stories from all kinds of sectors because the market is has proven to be, um, you know, pretty robust when you tell a good woman's story. People do go to the movies um, and it's no longer, you know, the, the, the old stereotypes, you know, like nobody wants to, you know, see movies movies about women that doesn't seem to hold true anymore um you know it's it's a lot easier i think i'm not you know maybe oh, i'm really? fooling myself than than a few years ago yeah right. for sure i think people are much more open to stories about women and stories and works by women um you know i, I don't think it's it's i think um it might close the doors might close again it might change back to the old days but i think not but i think because you know the market has proven that you know Show, movies like Hustlers, you know, right, have right. done so well. I mean, you know, it's like women, and it's you know, nobody really thinks in those those the old fashioned terms. How about so much Crazy Rich Asians was such a breakthrough with a, with an all Asian cast, and did, was that? Do you think that was transformative at all for yeah, for Asian? I think, no, I think it's transformative transformative for everybody. It just shows that if it's a you know compelling, entertaining thing, who cares right. who's in it? Who cares right. who made it? You right. know. The the films that on this panel they were talking in the like two to three million dollar. To me, I'm not making films, but I know some films are made in almost a shoestring. 
Yeah, you can't. That's that not seem... sustainable. That's something you do mm. when you're 23. Right. Or what, when, you, what when, is... you're, when, you're, when you have a great job and, or you're very rich and you're just doing this as a hobby. Right. What is, for, say, a documentary, is there kind of a sweet spot for how much you have to raise to make a it quality varies. film? It varies. I mean, some people would say, you know, they can do it for 60000 but that's untrue because that means you're not paying anyone. And that's... A... What did you do shirkers for? I'm not going to say. say. Um, but how did you raise money for it? Well, you know, um, I creatively um through grants and my own personal investments and things like that i mean you you, you just have to take your own risk right um and it paid off for me but right but it doesn't it doesn't often you know pay off for a lot of people so it's you know the for a film like Shirkus is incredibly hard to raise money for because it's not it doesn't it's not the usual you know in documentaries in the u.s it's mostly social justice yeah. and these kinds of yeah. things and those things they get access to a lot of grants that i don't get any access to you know, like creative personal story. I mean, right. really, it's going to give you money for that. So, what's your so you got the novel coming up, your second novel? What's the next film you got going? I'm on? actually um, adapting a novel to direct. Um, I'm adapting um, Elif Batuman's novel, um, The Idiot, which was a Pulitzer finalist last year. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I'm doing that. How did you get the rights to that? I wrote to her. Oh, I, lo- really? I love oh, the really? novel. I wrote to her. I just love Shirkas and let's do this. Oh, thing. nice. Yeah. That's I mean, great. It, took, it took some doing and you right. know, I made it sound really easy, but, um, but you know, we corresponded and she's, she watched the film and, and I'm working with producers That's in New great. York and, and it's, um, yeah. So I've, I've done the first draft. I'm working on the second one. It's just, um, chugging along. Great. So you're based in LA. Yes, I am. Um, how often are you in New York? Because New York seems to be the publishing capital. Yes. L.A. is still the film capital. Yeah. You go between the two or something? Um, or? N- you know, there's the thing called the internet and the telephone. And <laughs> and, and you, it doesn't really matter so much. But right. it, my, you know, my, my producers in New York and people I'm working with in New York, they, all, they, they keep trying to make me move here. <laughs> but, you know, I'm like, it's very expensive. You can, so if is you California, can, though. It's, isn't if it? you can make New York City affordable to me, yes, okay, I might so, you know, move. So California's, I thought L.A. was just it as is expensive, expensive too, as New York. But, you know, compared to, say, like living in, you know, Manhattan. Brooklyn. Yeah, yeah I know. I mean, it's like, crazy. A million crazy. dollars for a decent one-bedroom apartment. Yeah, like I how mean, are you going to live there? But isn't that what L.A. is too? Or you no, can find not cheaper? quite there yet. Okay. I mean, it's getting there, but, you know, it's okay. compared to New York still, it's not as bad, I think. Oh, okay. So, um, you know, it, it, I, I don't know. I mean, I just, I might move to New York, but, right. you know, it has to be feasible. So if you have to pick, it's a very difficult choice. Do you pick writing fiction, more novels, or film or you don't want to do that choice oh you would pick pick film why um because it's it's something i love it's um it was your first well yeah and and because i'm I'm writing um if i write the screenplay too then it's writing and directing right it's it's some it's bringing the world it's like music editing i love music and i like editing um so it's you know and working with actors so it's all of it it's like it's like being um it's like being a magician or in you're in the film is so collaborative Writing fiction is it's you alone in the, the blank screen. I'm yeah, it's, it's, as it's, I it try is, to yeah. finish my novel, it's just right. the uh, challenge. Right. right. So, at at this point, what was the trajectory of Shirkers? Did you go and have a big triumphant premiere in Singapore and all that? And did it take off right at the gate, or has it been a slow build with going to film festivals and things? Um, it had a great 
start at Sundance, basically. Right. Um, you know, we sh- showed there. Right. Uh, I won a director's You got the prize. director's award, of course. And then um, it just had a lot of buzz about it, and everybody wanted to see it because um, it wasn't the usual kind of documentary, and it wasn't, you know, bleak. Right. <laughs> and, and, um, and so people came to see it, um, and then we just took off from there. It was like the Netflix bought us. Right. Right off the bat there. Oh, and nice. Was, um, and so we knew we had a release, but they held... The, they held it back until October, so we were just, you know, it wasn't on Netflix till October of last year, um, a little more than a year ago, I think. Right. Um, uh, no, actually, just about a year. Yeah, ago. a year. And and then um and then and then we had a lot of festival play in between right. that. So. To be and able. what was the reaction in Singapore? Your family, your friends? Or? Um, I think they liked it. My friends, like some of the friends who were in the film, like my friend Ben Harrison, who was. In the film, he had to run out of the theater at midway because it was so traumatic to him to kind of almost like relive huh. the experience of being, um, you know, George stealing his music yeah. and that kind of yeah. thing. So, you know, various friends reacted differently. And, right. and the younger people of Singapore who didn't grow up in that environment and saw those, you know, did never saw that those nice old buildings, they have this strange kind of nostalgia for a place they never knew right. and feel it strangely inspiring to them to kind of, you know, if they could do it then, like, why not do it now? Right. Like, why can't we do it now? So, you know, I, I find um, that very, very invigorating. Mm. Who, who are your heroes, both as filmmakers and as novelists or fiction writers? Are there some either the classics or current of of both film and fiction that that just you think are at the top of their games. Oh, wow. you know? that's really really hard to say because I, um, you know my 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 favorite novelists are dead. Um, that's okay. Who yeah, are they? It's like um, you know Melville. Um, you know he's from Albany. Oh, I finally finished reading Moby Dick. We had a Moby Dick oh, book Moby club. Oh, Moby Dick's the, the greatest book in the world. So yeah. we had a book club Writers Institute. Uh, the Historic Albany Foundation mm-hmm. and Discover Albany, and we met once a month, hundred pages at a time for six oh, wow. months down at the local brew oh, pub, and they had a special yeah. beer for us. Yeah, I was a literature major. I gave up on it about four times. Yeah, no, How did to, you did you, you, you read, read it the first up. time? You, That's a, a tough because that is the beautiful like that is the most. It's, I know it is. Oh, it's it's, it's, it's like mad book. genius. But when did you read that? Um, maybe 10, 15 years ago. Because it's a commitment, it's, too. Did yeah, you ever give up on no, it? No, no, I yeah. loved it so much. I mean, maybe it was the, the I don't know, it was the nice paperback. You right. know, like maybe the 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 edition you were having, happening to read has has some, you know, impact on whether you finish it. Right. Like if the print is too small, the paperback is like not very attractive. Maybe you won't finish it. You realize it. he's Albany guy. I could yeah. take you around yeah. and show you the oh, historic yeah. plaques. Oh, wow. I mean, he was all over here. Yeah. His family had a lot of money problems. And he was at the the private school, yeah. Albany Academy. And then he had to leave. Mm-hmm. They ran out of money. Then he went up to uh, north the, across the river in Lansingburg, mm-hmm. just north of Troy. But his his footprint here is wow. is amazing. Yeah. yeah. Wow. So we'll, we can talk about that tonight later. <laughs> but who other? What other novels? Um, um, Faulkner's Absalom. Absalom. That's my favorite. So also. when you meet William Kennedy tonight, our <laughs> founder. Faulkner and Joyce mm-hmm. and Melville, but Faulkner yeah. is his favorite. You yeah. can talk Faulkner with oh, him. Oh, wow. Yep. Because that, that, that novel, when I read it, I, I just got it in my bones. Like, right. I never felt that way about any novel. Right. That one I did. And then I, I like Roberto Bolaño as well a lot. Don't know. Don't know. Um, great Chilean author right. who's dead. He died when he was 50, uh, right. about 20 years ago. Um, you know, he wrote The Savage Detectives. You might have heard of that. Okay, I've heard that title. Yeah. 
And then um, in this novel called 2666, which I love even more than Savage Detectives. Um, and then recently, of the recent ones, I just recently read this novel called um, Trust Exercise by Susan Choi. Oh, I know her, but I don't know the novel. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's her newest novel, and yeah. it's fabulous. I mean, yep. I just love it. The prose, like, you know, her sentences are just beautiful. And then right. I love um, Ellen Hollinghurst, um, the yep. British novelist. Yep. Like, his sentences, he is, like, maybe the best living writer, I think, of English. How about Toni Morrison? She was actually at University of Albany, too. Her sentences are, are beautiful, too, so lyrical. Um, but that's what I'm interested in. So much of novels are interior. Mm-hmm. I mean, Faulkner would be very difficult to make as a film. Yeah. How are you able to adapt this one you're working on? I live Batman. It's yeah, a to... very internal um, novel. It's all first person. It's, a, it's right. actually an auto, work of autofiction. Right. It's kind of a memoir, but by a different name. Right. And um, so it's very personal to her. Um, and it's a great challenge because the novel has a great following. But, you know, it's, it's, it's really fun to get inside her head and to do a different version of that, to capture it in a, in a filmic way, to kind of bring her out. Um, you know, and that's that's a fun thing. That so I'm you'll doing. have to use different techniques yeah, different rather techniques than just straightforward. Because the things that are available to you in film... There's not that much dialogue even, it sounds like, there, in a there novel some, or something. I, I, I'm inventing a bunch of dialogue. Oh, yeah. yeah. Because um, you have to, because right. it's a movie. Um, and then you, you're playing with a palette, you're playing with possibly animation and, and things like that that you know you can use in film where you can break the rules and tell this in very internal story of a very um, kind of a shy, introverted girl. Mm-hmm. Was that you at all? Was um, that what no, drew you to it? Not or really, no, not really. But that was her. her yeah. It's the story of this her first year at Harvard, um, Ellis' mm. first year, uh, in the form of this girl called Selin. Um, and she kind of is the early days of the internet. It's set in 1995, Harvard, where she kind of gets drawn into this internet romance, and she doesn't know that she's being drawn into an internet romance with this Hungarian boy. And um, sounds good. Yeah, and it's it's great. Right. It's it's very funny. And do you get back to Singapore? Does that or are you, are you now a, a citizen of the world? Are you more like I'm LA? I'm not really Singapore yeah. anymore. What? Yeah. You you are. You've kind of left your home yeah. behind a little bit yeah. oh, okay um and what else i don't know for fun do you have a dog do you yeah, have, like do you have hobbies I have a cat. but yeah. um you asked about movies as well and yeah. um i guess i i would say um my my it's really hard for me, me talking about movies but um so one of my 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 favorite movies is um this movie called polar x by leo's carracks and i'm actually showing it know. tomorrow at the Metrograph in New York in um, 35 millimeter. Wow. I, I found the print in LA and we're showing it cool. in New York. And Polar X is based on Melville's Pierre. Really? Yes. And Polar I should know is, about this. Yeah. Polar X is really hard to see because it's very little scene. Right. Um, so the rare showing of it is like tomorrow How'd night. How'd you find and, it? Was it? Um, I've, I saw it 20 years ago at the New York Film Festival. And it's made by this French filmmaker, this enfant terrible, uh, <laughs> called um, Leo's Carracks, whose name is actually a kind of an anagram of his real name as well. And he likes to play with, 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 with these things. So Polar X is actually um, short for Pierre or uh, Le, um, something, ambiguities or something. Mm-hmm. You know, because that's the, the, the full title of, of right. Pierre in English is Pierre or the yes, ambiguities. Yes, yes. And yeah. 
Um, so Pola X, he adds on an X right. to make it sound special. Right. Um, and it's a very closely, um, you know, it follows the story pretty closely. And it's Catherine Deneuve is in it. And then the son of, um, the late son of Gerard de Pajou, Guillaume de Pajou, who died at a very young age, is in it. He's the male lead. Right. He plays Pierre. Wow. And then um, this Russian, late Russian actress called Katerina Golubeva is the, the female lead. And she's also dead. So there's this, this very haunted quality to the film because both it's very young, very beautiful leads or have passed. Right. When will that start shooting, do you think? Start shooting. It was. It was. Um. Oh, it, it. It was a, no, a movie that was made. Sorry, in, I mean oh, your film, yeah. your oh. your adaptation of your oh. novel. I'm sorry. Oh my! I don't know. Yeah. Like I have to finish writing this. Yeah. And we have to. <laughs> and you got to finish know, your novel. You're we have busy. to raise. Oh, there's a lot of things yeah. to do. So we are starting this inaugural film festival. It's in the spring, March 28th, and it's going to be focusing on writing and film because mm-hmm. we're the Writers Institute. We're going to have screenwriters and film critics. I know you're busy, but maybe you'd come sure. back. Yeah. We'll talk about it. Yeah. And we have a few before we have dinner or something. I don't know what your schedule is. I could drive you by where Melville went to school, just okay. a mile from here. And if we want to get ready yeah. and uh, before Let me we go. Get my stuff yeah. In. But I'm really excited. I'm glad you did the New York State Writers Institute oh, no, podcast. I'm so glad. Thanks for inviting me. Thank you very much, Sandy Tan. And listeners, come back next time and, and see what other amazing artists and, and creative people we have. But thank you very much, Sandy. Thank you. This was fun. <laughs>